Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving podcast. And this week on the show, we have one of the guys who I first met when I moved to Berlin back in 2007. He was one of the people who I never would have met otherwise. I wasn't really familiar with his music at the time, um, but I am a big fan of his music now. And he's a guy with... um, lot of interesting things to say as we will uh discover over the course of this episode it's deadbeat he is from montreal originally but has lived in berlin for many years and um he's a keen exponent one of the foremost exponents of dub techno and just kind of dub influence music generally so we'll talk a lot about that in the course of the conversation um and we'll get into stuff like the Berlin club scene. We also talk a lot about um, the Montreal club scene because that's the city that he kind of cut his teeth in. So we um, hit some of the same areas that we talked about with Tiger on episode three of this podcast. And um, that's kind of one of the things that I want to do going forward on the show. That's kind of one of the things that's developed in my head over the course of doing a few episodes is um, getting different perspectives on the same overall topic. So when we're talking about a city, going back to it in uh, over the course of various episodes and getting different people's takes, I think that's something super interesting um, to do. And um, yeah, so I'm going to attempt to do that, get some common threads running through the episodes, basically. So yeah, we do that in this episode with... Uh, in the case of Montreal, um, we've also talked about Berlin a lot, and obviously we will talk about Berlin in this conversation with Deadbeat. So I think we'll just get into it. As usual, I will be back after the main conversation with a few bits and pieces of news. Um, I've got an NFT 
coming. <laughs> Some of you are going to roll your eyes at that. But um, yeah, I've got an NFT coming on CatalogWorks, CatalogWorks um, imminently. So I'll yeah say something about that after the after the main conversation. So I guess without further delay, here is Deadbeat. Debbie, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you, Dr. Scuba. I'm, I'm very, very well. <laughs> How are things going on your side? Yeah, yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, yeah. Pretty deep in this in this podcast now, so it's, um, it's great to have you on the show. I've got lots of things that I want to talk about, but yeah. um, just, to, um, just to start us off, I've got one to throw you just to um, yeah, get us into it. So how do you define the relationship between dub and club music more widely and the kind of phenomenon of like clubbing as as people you know think about it these days well i would say i mean i i think that there's just like a a broad spectrum of answers that i could give to that i mean one of the things that like i mean primarily i'm like a really really um a student of this sort of blues and country begat reggae and ska and rock study which begat jungle and techno and electro and everything else you know right, so the, the continuum so right <laughs> it's it, the continuum as they call it you know and and i think that there's um and i think it's important in in um a historical context to talk about dub as as primarily dance music it was it was all about like uh, sound systems in 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 exclusive versions in the same way that you had the vip mixes and everything with with jungle and on and all of this stuff and to perhaps a lesser direct degree but like um the idea that like um all of the underground resistant djs in Des- in detroit used to put stickers over the top of the stampers to so people couldn't hear couldn't know what they were playing for the exclusives you know that like um yep. so i think that like uh, i mean i think that dub music is is like a intrinsically um, is a very, very important piece of the historical puzzle. Uh, how it has been integrated into various um, electronic music genres over the last year, whether be it jungle or uh, two-step, dubstep, uh, techno, house. In many ways, all of the um, masters of, of the form uh, originally the Lee Scratch Perry's, um, the King Tubby's, uh, yeah. the uh, scientist like uh, Prince Jammy, the, the list goes on and on, grandfathered in um, the studio techniques as as the studio as an instrument, you know? And, and those things, I mean, you can see that in the mixes that uh, Andy Weatherhall did for Primal Scream. You can see this in African Head Charge. You can see this in... Uh, just speaking strictly on the UK side. Um, but I think you can also hear echoes of this in things like uh, more more progressive uh, in My Bloody Valentine, for instance. You know, like, a, yeah, the, yeah, like yeah. A, sure. you know, like a, that it was like a, those guys blew the doors open on the idea of the studio being an instrument. And that continues very much to this day, you know, that's... Yeah, yeah, totally. It's like that kind of like really sort of pushing things as far as can be gone on a kind of engineering level, I guess, which is... Absolutely. I mean, I would say like a, it's like a, in, in, in context, it's like the, I mean, I would say the one of the best 
dub albums that I've heard uh, in recent years um, is the new Low record, which is right. not like a, who you would not associate with reggae or dub in a traditional context. Um, but that record is so blown out. They really, you can hear in every second of it that they went to town and they were like, okay, how can we push the studio environment to the most extreme measures, you know? And and I think in a lot of ways, that's what like uh, what Scratch and, and, and Tubby were, but the, that was their, that was their focus, you know? Scratch in a more kind of spiritual uh, whatever, like a totally insane shamanic way, and Tubby in 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 a more sort of technical sense of modifying mixers, modifying effects units, and like a, and pushing things um, to extremes in that way as well. You know, so it's as much of a kind of philosophy, I guess, as anything else, right? It's just that having that kind of mentality of of pushing the sound as as far as you can and into into air, into areas like that you wouldn't wouldn't expect. I guess it's setting that challenge for yourself. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's things like uh, I mean, whatever. Like, I mean, if you go to do like a whatever an an, an SAE degree or like a whatever like a or or, or go to like a whatever. Pick your pick your technical school of choice, um, but they but they were like a, basically like a, one of the first things you get taught when you when you sit down and, and start mixing is like here's the green lights here's the red lights don't ever put things in the red lights you know and it's like a, and it's like well guys like a, sometimes the things sound really goddamn good in the red lights you know like the, the, like the, and i mean i mean you know as well as i do i mean having like a whatever with it, with with our experience like a playing uh with the substance parties and everything like this but also with like a, with a, a lot of our like a um whatever mutual mutual artistic friends i mean i've never seen kevin martin the bug play he he runs it red constantly like, <laughs> like without question like there's like it's like if there's green going on in the mixer there's something wrong for kevin you know like there's no there's no question it's like run it red or or you're all dead you know that's that's all there is to it yeah totally okay let, let's let's go back a little bit to um uh, to where to where you're from originally musically i mean in terms of like like really just starting out you're Obviously Canadian. Um, you were born in in Ontario, I believe. But I was you're kind of uh, in Kitchener, exactly, exactly. Right, but you're a kind of Montreal guy. Yes, yeah. It's like I like my my formative years were um, uh, all spent in in Montreal. I moved up there when I was uh, seventeen. So like my 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 formative years, like uh, uh, independent of my of my of my family. Um, were were there and uh, but we also spent uh, during um, I think for five years or something like this we spent because um, my father was a um, a Protestant minister um, right, and he okay. and and we spent uh, four or five years uh, in small town uh, eastern townships outside of Montreal and Quebec and uh, yeah so so as a result of this like Montreal really felt like a a much more like when you're when you're when you're a small town kid in Canada, and and in, in much the same way, I I, I I can imagine if you're a small town kid in in, in the UK, you're looking to one major center as sort of your 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 beacon, you know, like if if you want yeah, to do sure. if you want to if you want to grow more if you want to if you're if you're looking for more opportunities, um, and for me, 
Whereas geographically, where, where I was born, Toronto would have been the kind of obvious choice. Uh, I had because of the experience that I had in the in in the in the eastern townships in in Quebec and the friends that I made there and Montreal was that um, point of call, you know, like that that was the right. it was yeah. So we had um, Tiga on the show a few weeks ago. Fantastic! How's Tiga doing, man? I haven't talked to him in <laughs> ten years now. It's crazy. It's like a... yeah, yeah, right. So he, he's very well, um, but he was telling us about that early sort of Montreal scene and his his part in it. Um, and he was talking about the parties and you know record shops and all that. So well, one of the things I'm interested in doing on this on this show is generally speaking is like building up different perspectives of people in in different scenes. So tell tell us a bit about like Montreal and, and how it worked um, in your kind of formative period as a person getting into the electronic music and like beginning to go out and all that. Well, stuff. as I say, I mean, I, I, I came from the, like that. My initial movements in electronic music um, were like a mid nineties uh, in primarily Toronto. Cause Toronto at the time, like a, in, like a if, if, talking years, like a 92 to kind of 95 had probably the biggest rave scene outside of London. Like you could have on every given weekend, um, multiple parties of thousands of people. Um, one of which would be focused on jungle and drum and bass, like a, which was massive, you know, like a, in in Toronto. Another of which would be more happy hardcore, GABA, trance, blah 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 blah, and another one that was more for the house heads, you know, that like a, and uh, it was it was it was an incredible incredible time because it was it was it was very I mean. It was very free, you know, like it was really like, a, and, and, and there was a lot of, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to misrepresent it in such a way that like uh, things were, because at the beginning, they, things weren't divided uh, so strictly yep. on a genre basis, you know, and you would all always, always have massive, wicked ambient rooms at those parties, you know, like, uh, which is, which, which is where I gravitated to aesthetically like uh where, where i spent a lot That's of my really time interesting. you know wow. like uh the the wonderful thing it was it was it was, a, it was a wonderful environment to grow up in because because of the diversity so as a as a result of that i mean my like uh sadly i don't have a lot of the records that like uh that i started with but like when i started when i first started djing was playing ambient records like uh and and talking about like a uh, not just the sort of like a uh, typical Apex Twin selected ambient works, but like uh, also Casper Pound on uh, whatever New London School of Electronics, and 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 a lot of these like a uh, uh, pub, you know, like a really like a like whatever a lot of a lot of stuff. This that was, and the reason for that was being handed a box of records at a party by a good friend of mine, and being like, here, go have at it, you know. Um, really well. Yeah, and he was like, "Here you go, like, uh, go, go, run the room upstairs." And I was like, "Well, what the fuck do I do?" And he was like, "Just put the <laughs> fucking records on, man." And you know, like, don't worry about but it. But this was um, this was uh, chill out rooms, right? Is that was that was was that how it was presented? This is well, this well, this is you're talking about chill out rooms at, at, at house parties at like a, at like Mike Shannon's house was like a like a really like a for us was like a. A, a main point for for parties, but this is something that continued for years and years. Yeah, yeah, sure. And long story short, to get like up into the into the into the Montreal side of things, um, mm. um, by the time I arrived there when I was seventeen, I had been DJing for a long time, and but I had already um, um, sort of 
moved beyond uh, that, like, like was like the, was still a huge fan of ambient and, um, but also got very, very deep into um, Plastic Man associated techno. And on yep. the other side, pure raga Mickey Finn, Kenny Ken, like a jump up fucking serious <laughs> okay, right. jungle, you know, like, a, yeah, yeah. so my, my crates were deep on a lot of levels, you know, and yeah. When I moved up there, like uh, within 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 a year of being in Montreal, I moved into a loft space with my good friend Steve Beaupre um, and another guy, John Fish. And between the three of us, had uh, four 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 turntables, I think, and yeah. two mixers. And like a uh, and any time that uh, any of the illegal parties got busted at a certain stage in Montreal. They would call us and say, "Hey, the the party got busted. Can we bring people by?" And we we're like, "For sure, man. Bring people by." You know, completely. <laughs> like there was like, yeah, it was with, without without question. You know, so yeah. I mean, the, the reason I was trying to well, the, the reason I, I said chill out rooms was because that's the kind of term which doesn't get used at all now. I mean, it used to be that every big party whether but every big club or like most even big raves would have a have a chill out at least a chill out area yeah where ambient would get played um i, I mean I, I certainly vividly remember my early days of raving and spending hours like sat on a cushion in the chill out room just like Absolutely. rushing and like you know completely completely falling in love and and doing uh whatever and <laughs> completely no yeah. So, so what point is that? Okay. So the the, the point at which um, the uh, bigger legal raves are getting shut down and people are coming around to us. What 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 year is that we're talking well, about? Well, well, this is we're, this is this is like a sort of late ninety. I mean, I think I moved up. I moved up when I was seventeen. So I was born in seventy eight. So it would have been it, it would have been yeah ninety six or something like this. Yeah. Um, but we had already sort of like a. I mean, I'd become sort of very very dyed in the wool and with friends like Mike Shannon and Jeff Milligan and. Uh, spent a lot of time in Detroit. Spent a lot of time in the rave scene in Toronto, and also, we we all sort of became like a when 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 Plastic Man became a thing, we were all kind of hot nights, you know. Like we we spent a lot of time. We used to drive down and see him play in Chicago and in Milwaukee, and you know we we saw we went to um, the even thir- further parties that the Drop Bass guys did in Milwaukee and saw Daft Punk play for the first time, you know, that like, right. um, and when I came up to Montreal, it was, it was a really, really interesting, uh, moment because the drum and bass scene, which essentially consisted of like double A and twist and, and, uh, a, a guy by the name of Jordan Dare were doing very, very small parties at a place called Purple Haze and like, a, a another club called Angel's. Um, and another later on a place called Jai Bar, but they were, they were very, very, um, familial affairs, you know, like they were really like the, like the, the crew of us that went to, we all went every Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday, like in much the same way that like, like when I've talked to Sam Shackleton about the early days of, of, uh, a forward, you know, like, uh, and, and like, uh, there was like, they're, they're, they were legendary experiences, but they're actually, in the end, weren't that many people there, you know? But, yeah, sure. but they're things that none of us will ever, will ever forget, you know? And it was like a deep, deep down. And 
Uh, Tiga, going back to uh, your initial uh, comment with mm. regards to Montreal. I mean, Tiga at that time was, uh, oh, sorry, one of the uh, co-owners of uh, an after-hours club called Sona, which was uh, one of the, probably the most important venue uh, in Montreal, really? period. Okay, this, so, this is great. We, we, uh, we talked about this. So yeah, g- give me some more info on that because he was obviously quite sort of self-deprecating about well, it. Well, this was like, I mean, the wonderful thing about, here's, here's, here's like, if, let's, if, we, if we do like a sort of like a blow-by-blow, blow, um, like a, a sort of typical weekend, they had street team, they had guys who were like, hey, do you want free passes to go to, or if you went to the record shop, because he also owned the record, DNA record shop, uh, co-owned DNA. So you go to DNA, you pick up your wax, and they would be like, "Hey, do you want do you want passes for for this weekend for Sona?" Like, absolutely, great. <laughs> yeah. And Sona was this massive, kind of like in in many ways very similar to Fabric, because it was this giant big. I think I don't I don't know what it was originally, but it's a big industrial space in a basement. Um, and three rooms, and the downstairs room was uh, uh, hip hop and drum and bass all the time. The second room was the bar, and their policy was that uh, drinks uh, were free um, from eleven until one o'clock in the morning. And the drinks were complete piss, you know, like they were, <laughs> they were terrible. But like it, it didn't. But everybody came right away at eleven. Like uh, regardless of what they were there for, they would they would come right away at eleven and and pound the drinks, you know. Like uh, so, you had and the and that bar area would stay open for the the rest of the night and was more sort of like a geared. It was it was more sort of like a champagne and cocaine house and and two step and like a you know like a for the for the older cats in the in the in the space, you know. Uh, and then the main room would open at two o'clock. Um, when the open bar closed, and that's where like uh, all of the proper techno went on, and it was it was unbelievable. It was it was really like they really like a, it was it was an absolutely incredible like it was it was the space that you did not want to not go to. Like you you even 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 if there were other options, um, which sort of came and went. There were all sorts of different clubs that opened up, but this was the proper one. You know. And and there's like a, I mean I have I have memories of watching Tiga and uh, uh, another local DJ um, from Montreal, Matteo Murphy, who was an absolute legend as well. Like playing on four decks and pay, playing like a whatever, like a Audio Eleven with Spastic with I can't take this shit no more by Green Velvet with we you know like on top of like just like. Devastatingly huge, massive, massive mixes, and and really pushing the the vibe and 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 the and the whatever like the the, the capacity for a brain to process techno at at at, at, a, at a, an extremely advanced level. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And and, <laughs> and make no mistake. I mean, the other thing that I would have to say. I mean, as as I say, I mean, mentioning Tiga. I mean, there's there's also like a a lot of people. I think sort of associating with I wear my sunglasses at night and mm, yeah, sure. and gigolo and like a, whatever his 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 like a poppier efforts um, but make no mistake man he is a fucking badass DJ like without question like and he always has been and he's yeah. got great taste and he and he always has you know he's really yeah yeah I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of Tiga too definitely um so 
that puts us um, in sort of like mid to late nineties Montreal. So what what was your what were you doing musically then personally at that point? What was your I mean, you talked a little bit about DJing, but had you started making tunes as well? What was what was the? What well, was I the... was just. I, I mean, I I had started making like a basically like um. I remember like um when when I moved up to Montreal, I brought up like a, a, a my mom was like, okay, here, take it here, take this computer. I because she was uh like a a friend of hers was working at a computer shop. It was like, here, take this computer. At the very least, you can write your resumes and. So I was like, I went up on the bus with like the giant PC, like a, like a tower and, <laughs> and, and, and the screen, you know, like that. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I basically arrived in Montreal with like a, whatever, like a, a, a rucksack and, and this giant tower PC with this giant screen, you know, like a, and I was, um, very, very like when I, when I started to, at the, at the very beginning was like deeply, deeply into like scream tracker. And then slightly later, Rebirth and like uh, from Propellerhead and like uh, all of these things and like that like software music making immediately struck a chord with me because the thing is is that previous to this uh, making music making electronic music during those years was a very expensive venture you know like at that it, it, of course in the late eighties and early early nineties you could find three hundred threes and eight hundred eights in pawn shops for fifty bucks. But by the mid '90s, it was all valued, and it was it was in- incredibly expensive. So the the revelation that you could do this with just your computer was massive to me, you know. And that's and that's something that's really s- sort of stuck with me all the way through, you know. Like I, I've like uh, I've 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 bought and sold vast quantities of hardware over the years, and realize that in actual fact. I'm a software guy, you know, and I and I really I prefer that methodology, you know. So in that in that stage, I mean, at that when I first the like in the in the whatever the mid '90s, that was like the, my first sort of experiments with um, uh, making making music on my own, you know, that like a purpose built, and I think that the first track that I ever gave to anyone I gave I think to double a and twist who uh had uh I don't even remember the name of the label at the stage but that like that but like was basically uh like bug in the basement remix you know that that, that was the first yeah, yeah, yeah. the first song that I gave to everybody. They, they, they were the they were the drum and bass guys yeah exactly they yeah. they were the drum and bass guys in Montreal you know like uh, and I was like okay Here's this thing. They were like, "Oh, it sounds like Buck in the Basement." And I was like, "What the fuck is Buck in the Basement?" You know, like, <laughs> I really didn't even know it. Okay. I didn't even know it. You know, like I was just, I was just hammering away in my headphones and like, uh, whatever, doing my best and was excited. You know, that like, uh, and maybe gave some. I mean, probably gave some some tapes around to, to people as well of, the, of just like reverb jams or rebirth jams that like like a wannabe plastic band. You know, that like uh, I mean, rebirth was a great little program. Absolutely, man. Who doesn't want two 303s, an 808, and a 909? You know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. I think probably both of us could, like, uh, would be very, very happy with that and very little else, if, <laughs> given, like, even now, you know, like, yeah. could probably party for a really long time with that business, you know? Yeah, yeah totally. And, and were you DJing as well? Yes. Much? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what was what was your DJ set like at that point? Well, the thing, as I say, I mean, when it, with like a, because I was so like intrinsically involved with like a, the like a drum and bass guys that like a, that that was what I I sort of gravitated to, and it was 
just slightly later, kind of connected with um, people that um, would go on to uh, form the Mutech Festival. And uh, our first meeting was, I brought up Mike Shannon and Jeff Milligan from Toronto for a party of mine. Uh, and they are both like uh, absolute technicians. You know, like I, I brought them, it was, we. I, I did the opening and had them both for three or four hours on four decks each. And they just killed all all night long, you know, completely. And the guys, Alain Mangeau and and uh, Eric Matson and and uh, Vincent Lemire and the guys who went on to become the Mutech Festival arrived, and they were like, "Who the fuck are these guys? Like, what's <laughs> what the hell is going on here? This is insane, you know, like completely." And that was a very very uh, important meeting because I uh, then of course went on to do a lot of work with Mutech and um, both both in Montreal with the festival and like a, and touring internationally and it became this sort of like a Mutech was really like a as a like a at the beginning of the 2000s I would say or late the very very late 90s 99 98 was a crucial meeting point for Canadian artists like myself Mike Shannon Mark Acufin Tim Hecker um like a, a, a wide range of artists were like Okay, well, there's really there's really something here. Yeah, and, totally. And the first and the first year, I mean, the first uh, the first music festival happened in '99, and the lineup for that was was absolutely fierce. I mean, it was like a like and and a sort of who's who of whatever experimental electronic music at that time. We had like the Raster Noten crew was there, uh, Vladislav Delay, uh, Kit Clayton, Twerk, like uh, the whole San Francisco contingent as well, Sutek. Uh, who's now our Rose, you know, like a really like a, it was a, it was, it was a total and complete meeting of the minds. And beyond that, because it's such, it was such a family mom and pop operation um, that has fostered friendships that have lasted for 22 years now, you know, like uh, there's a lot of those people that I met that uh, Stefan Betke for, I mean, whatever my first, my first three albums, of of uh, of any international acclaim were on Scape Records, and I met Stefan that that year at at Mutech, you know, and right, right, yeah, yeah, you know. So it was really like a it, it can't be overstated the importance of Mutech sort of putting a lot of us musically and uh, and and Montreal in general on the map, you know. It was really yeah. So so um. So when it started, like, how did it fit in to the Montreal scenes? Obviously, as you said, it's like it's a pretty um, experimental, focused uh, like music policy. So how did it how did it fit into what was going on generally in the scene? And like, was, was it a bit of a curveball that they put it on? I mean, how big was the first one? Actually, is is a, is a question too. Man, but like, it's, yeah, it's, how did it's it fucking fit in? tiny. It was like it was it was crazy. Like I think like the the biggest the biggest show was like a like a Riley Reinholds and Thomas Brinkman. Uh, and at, at at a place called Cafe Campus, and I think there was probably 150 of us there. You know, like, a, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. but it was completely off the chain, like completely nuts. You know, like a totally amazing. And there was like a the I I'll, I'll never forget the uh, because Thomas Brinkman is like a, a real like a classical trickster. You know that like a and right. and he was like a and everybody was just sort of like at the festival was just sort of whatever, like uh, getting their feet and, and, and learning the ropes of, of how these things could be done. 
And I remember Thomas uh, talking to Alain, the director, and being like, well, what about the, what about the artist dinner? Like, and he was like, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he was like, well, I heard there's uh, like a right around the corner. There's a really nice Japanese restaurant. Um, why don't we, why don't we invite um, all the artists to come for dinner? And Alain was like, okay, that's fine. So we all go there and it's like, a, it's a table of like 40, you know, like it, just absolutely enormous. And at the end of uh, the primary section of it, uh, Brinkman stands up and he was like, hello everyone. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. I'm gonna have to leave you now because I have to go to sound check uh, for, because uh, I'm, I'm playing in, in a couple of hours. Uh, and I would really, really like to thank uh, our dear host, Alain Maljo, for paying for this dinner. See you later. <laughs> and left. <laughs> so Alain got like a, like schooled and rinsed, you know, like completely, like totally was like, uh, okay, well, I guess I have to take out my credit card. <laughs> and probably doubled the budget of the festival right there. Uh, probably, probably. I mean, like whatever. There was at least, there was at least 20 bottles of sake drank in that, in that hour, you know, like there was, uh, yeah. But at any rate, it was, so it was, it was very, very small, you know, but like, uh, but the cultural impact, as I say, there was like, I mean, right after that, um, Mark Acufin signed to, to Four Sync Mill Plateau, you know, like uh, I signed Escape, uh, Tim, whatever, became a, a giant, also was on Mill Plateau for a moment before, before moving over to, uh, to Constellation, and I forget, I forget where afterwards, you know, like, um, but yeah, but it was like, a, it put us on the map, you know, like it, it, we became part of the global cultural, cultural dialogue, as you would say, you know, like, uh, yeah, and it, it really, really grew steadily then from, from that point, right? I mean, was it, it was a pretty exponential rise as I understand it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was like the completely like the, I mean, over the, um, the coming years, um, things, yeah, things just got bigger and bigger. I mean, I, 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 I will never, never forget. Like, I think, I don't know, it was the second year, the third year, but the first time that I saw, uh, Matthew Johnson play live and yep. was like, Jesus Christ, like what, what is going on here? Like, who is this animal? You know, like, uh, and consequently went on to like, uh, be a complete, like a world beating animal in, in, in every venue he ever plays in, you know, like he, he just goes in and blows up parties. That's, that's his remit, you know, like, uh, yeah, pure and simple. Yeah. So, so did you find yourself, I mean, but I presume you found yourself much more sort of at home in that kind of, in that sort of slightly experimental part of, of that, of that scene and, and of the scene generally. Um, how did did you is is that a fair comment? I mean, how, how did you fit into the? Well, rest, it's a, it's, like, a, it's a really funny. Problem. It's a really funny. It's it's like a it's 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 interesting that you mentioned that because there's like I mean I think there's like um in in there's some modern context for this as well. Is that like I realized in sort of reflection um, that for instance like those first three Scape albums that I did uh, were really written in a bubble outside of any concern for how it would be received on a dance floor because I didn't have the context that, 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 that like, uh, I mean, I knew what I liked to DJ, but when, when it came down to actually making the music, I like, I was probably more connected to living under the, the like a uh, false promise 
that there would always be ambient rooms. And I was like, well, I can make some weird shit and and like uh, and then and there'll be people who will get high and listen to it, you know, like completely. And but it was also it was also because it was like a and an, in it like a, in, as I say in retrospect, it was really like a a wonderfully because of the mutech bubble and the and this this environment where that suggested there might be a context for much much weirder things it 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 freed me from having to concern myself with um how under what context it would be received i mean i made the move i made the move from montreal to berlin in Two thousand fuck. I'm trying to remember now. Like I think two thousand and two thousand and six. It says on the internet. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Thank you, internet. Okay, perfect. The um and the reason was that it's like there was there was more shows happening. Uh, and the last the last sort of six months to a year that I was there was flying back and forth between Montreal and various points in Europe. And 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 that's a shitty life. You, you don't want to do six hour international flights or eight hour international flights every weekend. You know, it's, it's, it's just not good for your health. It's, and it's, it's just shitty, you know? And, um, and it just made more sense to be based in Europe somewhere. And of course, yeah, let's, I was, take, hang, let's, let's just take it back a little bit before we get into that. Um, I wanted to get into how you met Stefan in the first place, Stefan Becker, Paul, because as you said, you, you're, well, I think, I think it was your second, third and fourth albums came out on, on his label, uh, Scape. Yep. So yeah, tell me a bit about how you met him and well, how... I met Stefan for the first time. There was a, there was an event, there was like a, prior to Mutech, there was an event called, um, the, um, FCMM, the Festival de Cinema et Nouveau Media in Montreal, um, which, uh, Alain, who's the director of Mutech was also the director of, uh, and there was a, uh, a party, I think in 98, if I'm not mistaken, um, with um, with uh, Paul Neotropic and uh, a local absolute legend and hero named David Christian, um, and I met Stefan for the first time then, uh, and then uh, I think about a year later went to Berlin and they were doing uh, a skate night and and they invited they invited uh, Alain um, to DJ. I think it was Stefan or his his partner Barbara Preisinger. One of the two. It was one of their. It was their birthday party uh, at this absolutely legendary place uh, in Berlin that's sadly closed now, called uh, VMF. Um, and it was an absolutely like off it party, like completely. There was there were three rooms. The main room was I think compact. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. But like, but I. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think. It, I think it was compact people playing at it. The second room was all scape associated. So it was um, uh, Kenneth Christensen from Echo Chord Records, um, Barbara Preisinger, Paul, I don't know, it was Ocean Club, uh, which was the radio show of Thomas Fellman. So it was exactly those three that I mentioned, plus uh, Chica Paula, Thomas Fellman, and Gudrun Gut. Uh, and the third room was Migo. So like, like, so you're floating around going from like a, whatever, like a floaty, trancy, techno, minimal, whatever. Very, very dubby stuff. And then the th- room three is like a rot noise, you know, like completely, like, <laughs> yeah, completely chaos on wheels, you know. And when arriving to that event, I was like, my God, like this, this is, this is where I want to live. Like, I want to live immediately standing in the crossroads of these three rooms for the rest of my life. 
you know, that's, that's it. Like, yeah. So when that was the, um, the first time that I had a sort of longer chat with Stefan and then there was a micro mutech event, I guess in 96 or seven that like, um, that was, um, where they had invited, uh, Scion and, and Tiki Man to play. Right. Yeah. Uh, nice. and, and Alain from mutech was like, Hey, I'd like to give you the open for this one. And I was like, okay, great, cool. Let's, let's, let's do this. And sort of purpose built what came to be the wildlife documentaries album in the context of this event and being like, okay, how do I do something? Let's take out all of the sort of like a soupy techno kicks and, and use uh, reggae drums, you know, and as, as something that makes sense as a, and that, that was the start of it, you know? And I sent that stuff to Stefan um, after we'd met for the second time. And he was like, yeah, let's, let's do this. This is, this sounds great. And did he, um, like to what extent did he A&R it? Like did he, how much um, like input did he have? Did he just let you get on with it or did he um, get involved? No man, Barbara, Barbara and Stefan were both like, and, and it was really, I mean, the, in terms of the, it, like in terms of A&R stuff, I mean, they were, it was a total equal partnership. Like uh, Barbara was like a, in, just as important in the sort of formation of uh, the sound of the label, you know, and uh, right, they're married, right? I think they're still married, aren't they? Uh, really? I don't know if they're legally married. I mean, they 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 are lifetime partners. I'm, I don't know yeah, if they're yeah. legally married or not, to tell you the okay. truth. But yep. but no, no they she's, were always she's great. I've, I've absolutely no, and like a whatever, an absolutely like monstrously badass DJ in her own right. You know, like she's a really like a yeah. There's a there's a reason why. People like Dan Bell uh, like to DJ with her regularly when they come over, you know, like a, she's a serious, serious lady. So it took a while then for you to actually make it over there, though, full time. Um, yes. How did, what was the, um, well, I th- I th- the first album on Pole came out in 2002, I on think. Onscape, yes, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, on Onscape, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, and uh, you didn't, didn't arrive till 2006. So like, what was the... Um, I mean, you just mentioned that uh, you were doing a lot of back and forth, but like, what, what were you doing much in in North America? Because I mean, the, the North American scene, having had a really good nineties, it kind of well at the time the North American scene was. I mean, we had the, thankfully we had like a. I mean, we had a, a very very dear connections with um, um, with the Paxahau boys in Detroit, um, uh, who how, now go on, who have now gone on to run the Moving Festival. Uh, or DMF or what, whatever it's called now. And mm-hmm. yep. um, so we went down to, to play in Detroit a lot. Uh, deep connections with uh, with uh, Brian Kosenik from the bunker in New York and used to take like a... Yeah. But we're, we're talking about like a, at, at that stage, like a, us taking the bus down to Detroit or New York, you know? Like it was really yeah. like, a, like getting phone calls being like, hey buddy, you want to come down and play this weekend? We got 200 bucks for you. We're like, wicked, let's do it. You know, it's like, no. <laughs> awesome. Like, uh, of course, you know, that like, uh, I mean, in many, um, I, I mean, I'm sure you've had, also had similar experiences like uh, back in the day, you know, that like uh, what you were, because you, you were based in Brighton originally. Is that right? I was in, I was in London, but I spent three years in Bristol, which is your thing, what you're thinking of. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, studying, yeah, yeah. which is where my kind of music career, I guess, first got right. going. But I mean, Bristol's a very kind of important city musically in Absolutely. the UK. 
But I can imagine. Um, but, I can imagine. Yeah. Like uh, at, back in the day, you probably got calls from like uh, nice kids in Leeds doing some weird party, and and like oh uh, yeah, and, like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah sure, I'll get on the bus, let's go. You know, like completely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those kind of networks exist everywhere. I guess like it's just absolutely putting on shows and like calling their mates to play and like you know there's, I mean, and and then of those from those scenes, some people emerge to a kind of wider sort of, you know, the, the wider notice of, of people. And sure, I guess that's just what, how, absolutely, how absolutely. But I, I, as I say, I mean, the thing was like, uh, it, there wasn't beyond those like a uh, sort of few and far between um, gigs in the States, whether it be in Detroit or New York, um, the occasional thing in Chicago, the occasional thing um, in San Francisco, you know, there wasn't, certainly in Canada, there was no whatever, there was no scene to support being an electronic musician in, in Canada at the time. There was, it just simply didn't happen. I mean, yeah, Toronto was like a, whatever, entirely mafia run, like a, whatever, shitty house and cocaine city for a long, long time. <laughs> crystal meth, crystal meth actually was a, was a, yeah, probably that's more accurate, but like, a, but yeah, there wasn't that much, there just wasn't that much going on. And, and it's a huge country. You know, so was that was that a change? That was a change from the nineties, I'm guessing, from what you said before. Like, because if there was a huge like, kind of big, and there's big a lot of people, and there's and there's, there's there are, there are a lot of people that would say. I mean, the thing is, is like there was a police crackdown in Toronto, and a lot of people that I, I think there would be a lot of people that would tell you um, who grew up in that scene that meth uh, really killed the rave scene in Toronto. Really? Because there were too many deaths, there was too much. It was, just became junkieism, you know, and and uh, whatever. You run into small parties where there were more dealers than dancers, you know, and it, it created a really, really dark uh, environment for for a lot of people and a lot of like a uh, hardship around addiction for 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 many years following, you know, that like uh, yeah. that really like um, good kids who just ended up in in the wrong environment. You know, and were there with all of the best intentions, and became drug addicts. And that was like, uh, yeah, when 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 the death count started to rack up, then of course the politicians, the police cracked down. You yeah, know? of course, that's always how it happens, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, in, so in contrast to that, like Berlin at at, at this point was really thriving, booming. Um, having come out of um, obviously the kind of trauma of the early nineties and then gradually sort of developing over time. So um, what, what, what are your memories then? I mean, you've just given us a good one from, from BMF, but like, what was your, what, what, what are are some of your, um, what were some of the key moments in you getting to know Berlin as a sort of, you know, as, as a musician, but also as someone who just goes out and like, you know, like listening to music, like give, give me some of that stuff. Well, I would say, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, some of the, some of the ones that sort of come to mind, like off the top of my head. I mean, I, I would say that, like, uh, um, by and large, and 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 without without question, um, my sort of home base in Berlin musically has been uh, Club Divisionere and and uh, and later their second venue, Hopatosa, as well. And um, that is simply, and 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 of course, like. Um, Classically, this is like a, a, a space that's like a very v- sort of focused on, um, I guess, what you would uh, associate with more labels like Perlon and a lot of the Romanian minimal stuff. And um, But this environment of 
total and complete freedom where people will just shuffle along for days on end. <laughs> yeah, um, literally. And, right. and, and happily go down there at where, where you can go down there at three o'clock in the afternoon and sit and have a nice cocktail in the, in the sunshine. And in many, many cases due to wonderful conversation, fantastic music and the environment in general, find that you've lapped it and that it's three o'clock in the afternoon again, and you're still <laughs> sitting there, you know, and that it's just like a, there is like a, um, a commitment um, with, from the owner Gregor and like the, the sort of the whole team there and just the aesthetic of things is like, in many ways you would say, I, I would say it like, um, it's almost like a do no harm policy, you know, that it's just always this wonderful, warm, thrumming constant pulse that you can sit in for days without without question you know and so there's so that's sort of like a and 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 that also um i i mean i think they probably have sort of uh what i would associate as kind of like there were sister environments previously like bar 25 which is which is now closed which was maybe a little bit more off it you know like it was it was it was crazier and there was like a you would have like a, I can remember um, sitting by the river at bar 25 one morning, uh, talking to friends uh, and a bunch of guys dressed as pirates showing up on a boat, hog tying somebody and taking off. And then they were gone and it was like, the person was never coming back, you know? Like it was just like a, and with no explanation, no nothing and, and things like whatever, like a confetti bombs going off when there was the music was at minus 20 db and there was hardly anyone on the dance floor and somebody getting shot in the face with like a kilo of confetti for for no reason you know like you're like what like completely yeah and 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 then there's i mean there's so that's those are sort of like as i say kind of sister environments in in my mind uh but then you have also the the proper, the proper big time business, Trezor, uh, and of course the the elephant in the room, Bergein, you know, that like, uh, which was, and that too is like the, my initial impressions with that. I mean, I played for the first time actually um, in Berlin for a Get Perlinized event with, uh, with Mark Akifin at the old Osgood space. And I would say that like uh, that, um, that night, that that event was like sort of the first um being a whatever young man from canada the first sort of like free sexual environment um i'd ever <laughs> right, encountered yeah. you know sure. and and like a, like i remember specifically going into the bathroom at some point to pee and it was very very late in the day so i was just standing there with my eyes closed and looking down and realizing that there was uh, someone lying in the trough and went out, uh, <laughs> ran out like a, in a, in a bit of a panic, um, to a colleague and, um, was like, uh, I was like, uh, so this just happened. Like, uh, I, I think I just peed all over somebody and they were like, Oh no, 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 that's so-and-so he does it all the time. Don't worry about it. Totally normal. I mean, it, it's funny because obviously, obviously by Burkhine is now this kind of internationally ubiquitous thing but a lot of people don't realize i think the kind of the sexual aspect to it i think most people just see it through that kind of instagram 
kind of like photos outside kind of thing. But it was, it started off as a, as a fetish club. Well, yeah, I mean, but absolutely. I mean, there's like, I mean, you can look at like a, you look at like a, I mean, there was like a, there, I I remember there was a run of ads like a a couple of summers ago uh, from H and M that were basically, it was like, ah, okay. So you're doing bear guy and leather gear now. Like this is like a, it's, it's become like, (laughs) like H and M's doing bear guy gear now. Like what's, what's going on? You know, like a, but there is something, I think those environments, um, I think that environment specifically and, 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 uh, and other ones here in the city and other places in the world as well are important learning experiences for generally cis hetero, like, uh, techno boys, you know, that, like, uh, mm. like that it was like, I, I mean, I certainly, I have to say, I mean, I, I won't make any apologies about it. I mean, I, I have to say that like, uh. The first time that I was dancing to Ben Clock or Surgeon or whoever downstairs in Bergine and looked up and saw two naked dicks on the on the on a on a speaker beside me, I was like, okay, this is this is a bit intense. But I was like, okay, I'm 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 cool with this. I'm cool. You know, like like trying and I was like a hamster wheel of being like a this is this is this is totally fine, you know, like uh and I but I think that's the the wonderful thing about that, it does give this opportunity to completely explode with a shotgun people out of their comfort zones, you know, and that they they foster such an inclusive uh, and wonderful environment um, that you have no choice but to be shotgunned out of your comfort zone, you know, and 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 deal. And if you want to enjoy it, then realize that that person there is is also enjoying it you know and 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 deal with it yeah it's just the ultimate kind of acceptance lesson isn't it really because yeah. you're in there and it's like you know as a as a straight person you're it's it's very obvious this isn't your environment but you're being allowed to be there and you well, just I have mean, to I've, had, I've, had, I've had lots of conversations with with uh, gay friends as well who are like who have turned around and been like, "Holy fuck, what is going on here?" <laughs> like, well, I mean, it can get pretty full on, right? It yeah. certainly can, you know, and, and 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 that's great, you know. It's it's that's 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 wonderful, and you know what it reminded me of what, what it what it always reminded me of when, when I when I went there for the first few times, it reminded me of the. Um, jungle raves in the mid 90s in london yeah. in terms of that kind of slight like everyone seems slightly on edge and it had that yeah. kind of like like quite like palpable danger yeah to the to the overall atmosphere that's it i really got those vibes from it i remember i remember i can i can i can relate to that i mean i remember the like the the first the first trip that i ever made to london myself is was in uh, 1998 when i was working for this music software company applied acoustic systems and we went to go do uh there was like kind of a mini um, music technology festival that Turnkey Music in London ran yeah, yeah. at the yeah. shop, and that's where I met like all, all the guys from Native Instruments and and yeah, whatever. Like I made a lot of links at that point. Um, but I, on this trip, um, I was like, this was I was in the throes of my like a drum and bass heyday, and I was like, come hell or high water, I'm going to Blue Note for for metalheads, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and walked in there, and uh, first of all was like a, the, I, I don't remember who was like the what 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 the thing was, but like a, arrived and like the guy was like, "Sorry, mate, no trainers." And I was like, 
What? <laughs> like this is this is a metalhead's night, man. Come on, what are you talking about? Like this this is this is just wrong. Managed to blag my way in and get get in there, but that too was like a, a as I say, I mean, like the 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 mix of champagne and cocaine, whatever, like a well-to-do like a Londoners with the mix of like a South London like a toughies toughies and roughnecks. You know, with like a standing around grill face around the deck, you know, like a really you. Yeah. You know, in a similar in a similar fashion. Yeah. Completely different people, but very similar, like mindset and kind of attitude, basically. Absolutely. So, OK, so. um, So having moved to Berlin, like how did you how did you fit in in terms of like the like like the scene? Obviously, you you were. You were established like in people's minds to an extent, having done those albums on Scape. But how did you? Yeah, what was it like moving to a new country and like you know, getting into the scene? Generally, tell me about that. It was. It was. I mean, I mean, I thankfully had like a, a, a really, really good like a what I would say like family base here by the time I moved. You know, so a, a lot, a lot of friends like uh, Barbara and Stefan, uh, Thomas Feld, Feldman, Gudrun Gut, like a. a uh, the shit catapult boys, Marco Haas and T. Romschmider and Apparat and a lot of very, very dear friends, you know? So it was, so it was like, uh, Daniel Matteo, who was my booking agent at the time. Yeah. I, so I had a good, a good landing pad in terms of whatever people for support in terms of logistics and, and, and just kind of the day-to-day business. And also, like, it was like, I sort of came, like, as a sort of, I mean, I would say even kind of the second wave of kind of American and Canadian artists. So there were there were a lot of Canadian and American friends here as well, you know? So, like, a very, very active expat community. And a lot of people that, like, uh, when you couldn't figure out how to fucking deal with your health insurance or your taxes, like, uh, people who would be, you know, like, uh, who also didn't speak German and, like, uh, with shoulders to cry and all over the place, you know? That's... It was a bit of a trial by fire because being here full time and being like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this full time, uh, made me realize that like the there aren't that many mutex or unsounds or um, CTM festivals in the world, you know, that like uh, who are willing to listen to really weird shit. And if you want to pay the bills, you got to play stuff more for the floor, you know. And while that was for a number of years, was like a was incredibly gratifying and and made me like a sort of stretch my creative muscle muscles in in different ways that I never would have you know and thankfully had some like I mean a lot of a lot of good partners I mean uh, I, I would mention Kenneth Christensen from Echo Court in, in in this circumstance I mean his his club culture box we could still go and play pretty weird techno business and people would it was I mean always a great crowd and and there were lots of there. There's lots of places like uh, throughout throughout the continent where um, the music policy is uh, like that. The nothing special that Craig Richards used to run at at at, uh, at Fabric, you know, that would be another good example. Um, but it did dictate um, a little bit, like the 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 um, necessity to get gigs and 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 pay the rent and pay for health insurance and uh, all of these things did perhaps dictate a little bit too strongly, I would say in retrospect, um, musical direction, you know, that like, uh, that I was thinking about stuff 
that was playable and as opposed to thinking uh, as opposed to not thinking and letting happen what was honestly there you know yeah that's interesting because i think some people can so some people benefit from that kind of discipline if you see what i mean but it's definitely not for everyone and yeah i, I can um i can completely identify with the with the idea that it becomes a little bit of a kind of tyrannical thing hanging over you now, it's funny because i mean i was just as you were saying that i was just um remembering the, the whole flush nights that, that i did at various venues around berlin not not substance but um smaller parties and it's like the, the, the way the club scene is there is kind of untainted by this kind of ticket selling mentality which i think has been really corrosive to certainly to the uk um the, the way clubs work there everything is ticketed everything's got to be you've got to have a headliner you've got to be like you know and it's just it's not at all conducive to doing interesting music really certainly not certainly not and it's like a, and 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 what like a whatever as like a going back to the like the like the sort of classic levels of like faceless techno bollocks you know like a like a <laughs> yeah. spiral tribe and 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 bush doofs in australia and and like a like a parties in weird places in the woods in wales you know like a, in the in the 90s it's like a it's completely yeah i mean i think the whole idea Somebody mentioned something to me once that, yeah, that that I think is like a that, that like there there are places in in the world that like have become sort of like a kind of industry standards for um, electronic music. Ibiza being one of them, Goa being another, you know, and uh, whatever Bali for 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 people in in Asia and Australia, you know, that like a. And there's like a and, a, and a friend of mine mentioned to me once that like, uh, that he, he, he considered, he was like, uh, these are places where artists go to die. If you, if you, if you, once you got the residency, you're, you're, you're cooked, you know, you'll, you'll never make another good record again, you know? And it's like, of course I, this is, of course, this is completely overstated. You know, like, and it's really like the. There is an element of truth to that. Well, though, there's, well, there, there's the the question is there or the like a, there the um the I think the uh, the the relevant um, side of this um, has to do with um, the separation between art and and business. You know, and of course we all have to pay the bills. We all have got to we take care of the the day in and day out grind. You know, but there. There's also a separation, I think, that I, I hope, anyway, that this um, pandemic has can offer, has offered to people to to take a good, lo- hard, long look at, at, at what, at that side of things. I've like, a, like everybody else, I've done a lot of gigs over the last couple of years that like, uh, if I if I think in retrospect, I really wish I that I hadn't, you know, because I needed to, but but maybe not. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the, the the problem is with with all of this, or all of the the pandemic stuff, is that like, yeah, I totally agree that there's an opportunity to like to reset to an extent, or you know, to do things in a slightly different way. The, the thing I worry about though is that you know, for that to happen, like lots of stuff has to die, and like it, it's it's a difficult thing to wish for, really. Do you know what I mean? Because if you're if you're talking about really kind of um, altering the way things w- were working. And I, and I, 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 comp- I, I absolutely subscribe to the view that 
that there has been a, a missed a missed turn, you know, a, a wrong sure. turn. Sure. I mean, I mean, whatever. Uh, I mean, in, you're in old enough that you can remember. I mean, you can remember like a like a back in the day, like in the nineties, like when when things sort of like went to the ugliest peak in the UK, where you had the tall Pauls and sashes and digweeds getting getting twenty grand a night to play. You know, like a you know this. <laughs> That's there's something wrong with that, you know. <laughs> my, my, my particular like, favorite was uh, Todd Terry having a um, having a, his own DJ booth built for him in a club as part of a uh, part absolutely of his, you know, show no, 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 totally, totally. And I remember, I remember hearing stories from uh, mentioning mentioning Tiga again. I mean, I believe that like a Sona got into a bidding war at some point in '97 or '98 to have Mills uh, Jeff Mills play, um, and were in a bidding war with a club in Tokyo and a club. In Europe, and like a, that, it went up to a hundred grand or something. You know, like it, just ridiculous. And it's like, and when you step back from that and think about it, you're like, you're like, okay, wait a minute. Like, I love techno, you know, but does a guy really need a hundred grand to put some records together for a couple hours? Like, really? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I can sort of, I can, I can, I can accept that at the very top level of, sure. of the of the market, as it were. But I mean, like, I, like I was saying before. Um, like certainly in the UK, like tickets are for every show. It's like every little night is selling tickets on on RA or wherever, and it's like yeah. this is not how this is not healthy, you know. For, for any, completely anyone. not, completely not. And there's and there's the thing. There's a, there's there's there really is a. I think there's a, a great opportunity for things to get back to a grassroots level. And what about your buddy handing out shitty flyers in the corner of the street and being like a you know like. Five quid, come on in, you know, like, uh, come, yeah, yeah. please, yeah. you know, like, uh, bring your girlfriend, let's go, like, uh, really come enjoy yourself, please, you know, like, uh, yeah. And I think that you've got, I mean, I mean, there's, there's still, thankfully, there are still a lot of players in the game of, of this mindset, and we're doing things for the right reasons, and um, whatever. I mean, I think that, like, uh, on, a, on a larger scale in the UK, the fact that, uh, Craig Richards has toughed it out uh, after two years of cancellations, and they're still doing the festival. is is absolutely unbelievable. You know, I think yeah, like, the Halton uh, Festival. You're talking the, about yeah. the Optimo Boys in in Glasgow are like uh, whatever, like uh, absolute soldiers. You know, like uh, come hell or high water, they will they will do their stuff. You know, like uh, and and you got a lot of yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people here in town. As I say, I mean, like uh, whatever with. Gregor and Club Divisionaire and like a, a lot of people, you know, who yeah. who've got their hearts in the right place and they they know why they're doing it and they know who's going to come and and they will keep doing it because they realize that it's that it's uh, that it's that it's a uh, whatever a, a spiritual service of some kind, you know. It's like the right. the whatever like a the the vicar in the underattended church in whatever small town who. <laughs> doesn't like uh he's even though he knows there's only going to be 10 people that are going to come every sunday he gets up and does a sermon you know and and that's important and that's and that's a crucial that's a crucial service you know spiritual service yeah i totally agree i totally agree okay um the last thing i want to talk about because we've been chugging on for a while now there is one last topic and that is that's the album format so i've basically asked everyone who's been on so far what they think of it and the general consensus seems to be it's great but but i mean it's that's in the context though of it's kind of like kind of wider scale or wider kind of the wider context of it's kind of declining the way people i guess consume their music to use a term i'm i don't like very much but you're 
a prolific releaser of albums. You've released many. I was trying to figure out how many you'd actually done because I mean your 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 catalog has has put down now. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot, right? Exactly. Count collabs. It's something something (laughs) like that. Yeah. Yeah. So so basically, what what I really wanted to ask you was, I mean, well, I guess there's kind of two halves to the question. So, I mean, how do you see them? Like in terms of like the way you view your, I guess your creative output, for want of a better term, and then. I want to get into like you know some some of the uh, some of the albums from other people that you like and have been have been influential influential on you. So let's, let's start off with um just the way you see it generally as a, as a kind of format and the way it kind of uh, interplays with your with your creativity. Okay, well I would I would probably like uh, I would I would have to switch hats like a um, um, a couple of times here just for like a the, the, and the first hat that I will put on is as a boutique label runner. Um, and and uh, just and arch capitalist, and uh, within in that context, historically uh, sales wise, um, albums have done remarkably better for me. And we're talking um, like a like a if, if, if in a historical context. I mean, of course, things have, are very very different in the in the current climate. But like a, like when with with the first albums with Scape, I mean, we're talking about. 10,000 records and and 10,000 or 15,000 CDs. And of course that's in 2002 and things are very very different now. Things are now like uh, I'm happy like uh, with 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 my own label if I can sell a thousand copies of of anything, you know? But generally speaking albums uh, tend to do better. And 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 I think that's like a as a result of a weightier format, whether whether you're doing a physical release or, but but I think that there's also like um, um, in terms with with listeners and 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 with fans that if you've gone out of your way to like a whatever like a hit the bricks for six six months and 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 make a full album and make a sort of like a and 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 have a and have a larger vision, I think people appreciate that, you know. And switching hats then to from an artistic perspective, it it always uh, is easier for me to say what I need to say in a longer context. I'm not good with being concise. I don't like that. I'm really like a, I I I need to ramble and hum and haw and you know like a, and and figure out what and and think on my feet and think out loud. Additionally to that. When you involve somebody else or multiple other people in that process, it's a joy. It's wonderful to create sonic worlds of an hour to two hours long. You know, like it, it, it's 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 absolutely like a, it's it absolute it's it's my favorite thing to do in the world. I can't if I could spend every single day in the studio with people just bouncing ideas off one another and. And 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 uh, enjoying that interchange. I mean, I've had the great pleasure of doing it with with Colin the Mole over the last just in the last two years with Colin the Mole with uh, Martin Biquero, who's uh, based in Paris but like uh, is from Chile originally. Um, Martin Voss with with Tiki Man, of course, and most recently with Sapa. You know that like, um, and I love that shit. You know, like that's that's that is the like uh, the. The butter on the toast of life for me, you know, like that's a hundred percent. That's like a that's the best. And because it's um, in 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 
perhaps in some people's estimations, totally unnecessary time spent. There's nothing there, like there's nothing concretely, and this and this goes against the arch capitalist talk that I was saying before. Be like, well, these these losers are hanging out in 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 a dark room and and like uh, making weird noises for a month. What is what, what is what is this worth? But but to me, socially and 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 spiritually, it's 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 worth absolutely everything, you know. And I think that the um, modern listening um, contexts have have changed things in a way that you would assume um, is against the classic album format, which is whatever was to begin with, like a like a eight to ten tracks on two sides of a twelve inch vinyl record, and yeah, and it was story. exactly it was in the context of the of the actual medium. That's exactly. What dictated it. Yeah. But the wonderful thing is, it's like what I found. Like, uh, I mean, the the sort of format that I've been, uh, sort of release schedule that I've been using personally um, for the last couple of years is first uh, Bandcamp exclusive, and it comes out digital on Bandcamp because Bandcamp subscribers and fans are the best ever, and they will buy everything, you know. And second. It goes up to the other digital platforms. And while there's been a great scandal about the political uh, connections of uh, Spotify and um, a lot of the companies involved in, but specifically Spotify, you know, that like, a, and, and in general, the fact that they don't pay nearly enough and everything clearly sucks. I would be completely transparent in saying that Spotify, uh, Apple Music, and Tidal are my main income earners by a f- fucking large margin in the digital realm right now. So even though I know he's a complete asshole, like a, I, I like a, a, I'm not, I, I simply cannot afford to leave Spotify, you know, because I don't want to spend um, my evenings and weekends browbeating my cousins, uncles, and friends in small town Canada to switch to another platform. You know, (laughs) I don't have time for this. This like, this is really like a, this is the delivery method. Oh, and, you know? and what the, what would what platform would it be as well? You know, because look, there is there is I can't think of one which doesn't have some objectionable. I mean, I've talked about this before. It doesn't have some objectionable uh, aspects to it. Well, absolutely. There's I mean the, I mean it's like if you're if you want to be if you want to be a saint, stop releasing vinyl. You know, vinyl is oh, a quite. toxic, yeah. toxic, horrible industry. You know, like that. Like uh, <laughs> I will still do it because there there are. Friends and and like uh, who 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 enjoy the format and and like uh, will continue to do it for as long as it seems reasonable to do so, you know. But like uh, yeah, in the same context, I mean, in many ways, it's like a, I mean, it's like a, not to make things too too political, but it was like a, it was like it, it's really like a, similar to me, like the um, with Nick Cave talking about like a, he got into some sort of like a. Twitter spat with uh, Brian Eno about going to play in, in, in Israel at some point, you know? And it was like, a, and, and he was like, hey, come on, Brian. Like, <laughs> like what saint are you? Like, what, like, what, what, what exactly, like, uh, why are you the, like, uh, whatever, like the, the, the righteous demander of, like, uh, all things good and, and well in the world, you know? That, 
But at any rate, the, um, not to get too off-piece, the, uh, the album format for me still makes tons of sense. And I think that there's, um, as I say, my, my release schedule has been Bandcamp and all the other digital formats and then a physical release because we've got such delays with physical releases right now. Like, you know, like a, it's, it's like a, you say, okay, I want to put out this record and they say, okay, great. It'll be out in a year. You know, <laughs> it's really like, like, so it's do you just, think that, um, sorry, do you yeah. think that, um, like the fact that every like every, every musician, I think, um, certainly every musician of a certain age anyway, but I think that, I think, I think the majority of vast majority of people would, would answer that question in the affirmative as in like, do, you know, do, do they like the format? And I'm just wondering, like, why you think that is? I mean, because I mean, is it is it just just the wider canvas? I mean, because I mean, obviously, as musicians, we are egotists to a to a large extent, well, to a greater or lesser extent, but usually to a to a greater extent. Is it is it just the, that thing of having having just more available, or, or is 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 there something else there? Do you think? Are you talking about the vinyl format or what it was? No, like a, or I, formats I mean, in general. I mean, what is your? I mean, al- I mean albums. Like, so I'm, I'm talk- still talking about albums. So, like, ah, just, just, okay, the, just, see, the, just the fact that, that you've got more. Well, just, just, just the fact that it's, it's you know, it's, it's a long, a long, a long player, literally. For me, it's really like a. I mean, like a. As I say, it takes me a long time to. I just like I spend a lot of time thinking about out loud and like a, there's like, and I and I think that the 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 longer format. Just, I mean, yeah, I, I can't speak for anybody but myself, but like, I, I really like the idea of like a telling telling longer stories, you know, and and the and I really don't, um, I don't know. It was like, it was the, like in in many ways, it was like the. I mean, you could think about like like if I think like a, the if I I think about like the the for me the best uh, drum and bass jungle whatever have you album is Timeless by Goldie, you know? And it was this giant, huge fuck-off statement, you know? And, and but it's also a fucking beautiful album, you know? Like, it's really, like, it's a wonderful thing to sit down and listen to from, from end to end, you know? And, and I think that um, a single culture, be it in techno, drum and bass, reggae back in the day with seven inches, everything like this, just reeks of commodification, you know, that, and, and it, it, it's really like a, it's, it's, it's really like a, we're doing this, we're putting out this little, this little thing to sell, to make cash, you know, like, and, and the thing is, it's like, why not, why not sit and, 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 and talk about and, and ponder your navel for some time and, and, and think about what the, everything that you have to say, don't just think about the, 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 the marketing pitch for for the first movement of the thought you know and and to and to and to develop things and to yeah and and i think that's like um yeah it's also about it's like uh also about like uh yeah allowing oneself to to explore ideas in in depth as opposed to a arch capitalist crash course you know and yeah, <laughs> yeah. So okay, you gave us one uh, album there, the Goldie um, Goldie Timeless. So g- give me give me a few more seminal records for you over the years. Like no 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 time scale necessary, just like albums that stick out. 
uh, sleep dope smoker by all means like a really like the ultimate fucking like a doom drone metal like a like yeah absolute absolute killer for me uh, heart of the Congos like uh, the Congos and, and Lee Scratch Perry by by all means as well uh, genius and jizz of liquid swords would be another one that's like a proper 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 album for me you know into electronic realms again um plastic man sheet one by far you know like a and consumed both consumed maybe even more which is uh yeah was like a a, a real statement like a in left field you know yeah i'm trying to think burning spear marcus garvey like a yeah that would be another one uh everything by godspeed you black emperor Okay. Yeah, he's yeah. like my my friend Sophie's the one of my one of my best friends. Sophie is the violinist for like, and I think they're like, I think in in, in terms of album, I think those guys are like um, the ultimate album writers. Full stop. Yeah. You know, like they yeah. they they are absolutely killer. Like, um, yeah, the like uh, anything by Stars of the Lid. You know, like uh, the tired sounds of the Stars of the Lid. Like uh, everything my my buddy Tim Hecker has done. Particularly like uh yeah, Rave Death nineteen seventy two, like uh the yeah, so much man. I could go on, could go on for <laughs> for days, well, that, you know, like that is that is a good lot to be going yeah. on with. So um cool. Well listen man, this has been great. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks Absolutely, for doing Paul. it. Thank you so so much for the opportunity. That's it, yeah. yeah, that was Deadbeat. And um that was a fun conversation hit lots of areas um <laughs> that i enjoy talking about it's great to get some berlin club stories really interesting to have the other side or an other side um of the montreal thing mid-90s montreal it's great to hear about what tiga was doing from someone who is kind of in the crowd and observing um yeah tiga was super self-deprecating about lots of his activities in the 90s so it's good to hear scott go into um yeah what it was it was like from looking at it from afar we've got another great guest coming next week of course um doing one a week is it's pretty full-on but you know it's um actually having the conversations is is always super interesting there's always so much i get out of it so yeah, long may it continue. Um, just a couple of notes before we finish this week. Yale Trip is the label of Glaskin, who are a couple of brothers from Munich who you've heard me talking about before. They've got a really big tune out this Friday, the 25th of Feb. It's called Slimline. And um, yeah, loads of people have been playing it. It went kind of viral off Dario Kolosova's Her Set. It's a really big track and it's out on Friday. So um, yeah, get hold of that. I'm plugging it because we're kind of involved with running that Yale Trip label with Glaskin and um, I'm a big fan of those generally. So um, yeah, get out there and support. It's up for pre-order now. And yeah, like I said, out on the 25th. And as I mentioned at the top, I am releasing an NFT this week's the first one I've done. I've been umming and ahhing about it. And um, after much indecision, decided to just jump in and do it with Catalog Works, catalog.works. It's um, a pretty cool concept that they're doing over there. It's not um, it's not full OpenSea bullshit. Um, <laughs> basically, it's just a single edition of a track. So the track I'm releasing 
in that format is going to be the alternative mix of my SCB Hang 10 track that I played on my her set a couple of weeks ago. It's been uh, posted on a in a clip on Twitter. So the full title is SCB Hang 10 Scuba's On Chain Mix. And um, yeah, I'm super happy with the track and it just feels like a good way of getting on this kind of NFT thing. I've been into crypto for a long time, I should say. I'm not just uh, <laughs> jumping on this willy-nilly. Um, it's an area which I think is really important and will be increasingly important. I realise, absolutely realise, why people are cynical about the whole NFT thing. I think it's quite silly, a lot of it. And the whole bad JPEGs going for millions of dollars or rather millions of dollars in ETH um, it seems a bit ridiculous. I totally see that. But in terms of figuring out a new business model or one of many new business models for musicians to make a living, I think it's super important and super important to experiment in the space as much as possible. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's not going to work. Maybe it's part of a solution. I think it, it almost definitely is part of a solution. But I think it's important to be involved. And I'm I'm involved as a purchaser anyway of nfts I, li I like the whole thing i think it's cool it's an interesting development i think in the way people participate with the careers of artists that they like generally so um so yeah look out for that um i will obviously be tweeting about it and in the hot flush discord server we have a dedicated channel for web3 stuff plus i'll stick a link in the show notes um once it's up and running but it'll definitely be this week so if you want to buy it then please do be my guest um, I can guarantee that the track won't be out any other way, although I will be playing it in my DJ sets, obviously, and I might give it to a few other DJs as well to play out, but it certainly won't be for sale anywhere apart from catalogue works. So, um, yeah, that's it for this week. I mentioned we've got another great guest coming up and actually a whole series of great guests coming up for the next few weeks. Really excited with the programme that we've got coming up. So, yeah, I'll check you back here. Same time, same place the next episode of the Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.